You can forget a lot of things, Foster Care Nation, but never forget this. You're listening to Unparalleled Studios. I think now. Foster Care Nation, listen up. This is Foster Care and Unparalleled Terminator. Strength for the powerless. Courage for the fearful. Hope and healing for wounded hearts. Hello and welcome back to Foster Care, an unparalleled journey with Jason and still no Amanda, guys. Sorry, um, we just have too many things going on and she is the responsible adult today and I am left to play on the computer over here and interview somebody because I am really good at talking. She's really good at getting stuff done. So that's why I married her because she is so much better at stuff than I am. And so we have with us today... Not Miss Oklahoma. That was Morgan Wolf. We talked to her just a few months ago. Today we have Mrs. Oklahoma, Spring Gray with us. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you, Jason? Oh, man, we are We are doing okay. Uh, nobody's been in a, in a real fist fight yet today. Nobody's, um, nobody's well, can't say nobody's thrown up. We've got a little bit of a stomach flu going through, but, you know, okay. uh, it's, it's been really, really low on the trauma level. So I'm going to call this an excellent day. How about yourself? Success. Success, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 success looks different in this world, I think, <laughs> than it does in a lot of other worlds. Especially when you have kids. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. Especially when we have kids, kids of trauma and, and life does what it does sometimes. So we're just yeah. happy that we don't have anything big happening right now. So mm-hmm. everybody knows we talk about foster care and adoption. So how how are you joined into this world? I'm actually an adoptee. So I was ado- adopted at birth from from my birth family to my adoptive family. Okay. Okay. So now did you come through the foster system or were you adopted through an agency? Actually, neither. It was a very, very private adoption. My adoptive father worked and owned a law firm. So they did all the paperwork and my birth family kind of did um, kind of around the housework for my adoptive parents. So biological father mowed the grass and a biological aunt was the house cleaner. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is, that is unconventional for sure. It's very, very, very. So, so did they continue to, you know, throughout your life, did you grow up with them, you know, working around the home? Actually, no, pretty much as soon as I was born, they, split and went back to Detroit, Michigan, where um, biological mother is actually from. She's from Detroit, Michigan, and we're right outside of Detroit. I call it Detroit because if I tell you where it is, unless you've been there, you probably, you're probably not going to know. It's a really small town. And I actually never saw her again until 2015. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Your accent does not betray Detroit to me. No, Appalachian Mountains, really small town called Grundy, Grundy, Virginia. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I was just thinking that that didn't really, really fit with the sound of your voice. No, it does not. <laughs> yeah. That's okay. For a little while, I lived in the hills of Tennessee. And again, the hills of Tennessee. Uh, yes. I think we were only 30 miles outside of Nashville back in the 80s, but. 
you you could have been in the Appalachian Mountains out there because it was I never met my closest neighbor who lived out there. We were in that part of the country. Same, same. I think my closest neighbor was probably about four miles in the mountains, which, you know, that's about 15, 20 minutes um, of gravel road. And I was not ever allowed to go up that fork of the holler. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, I know what a holler is. I'm feeling you're speaking my language. I am. Yes. You know, I dated a young woman when I was in, uh, when, uh, from home, but when I was in the army years ago and, uh, I was, I was stationed in Texas for a little while and I wasn't there long and all. And the first thing she starts like, why are you talking weird all of a sudden? Why are you talking with this accent? And I'm like, oh, it's coming back. And it does, yes. it does for sure. It does. <laughs> yeah. We can't hide from it. We can't hide from it. Especially no. when we get around folks who speak a lot of Southernese to us and, and it comes back. Or if you screw around and accidentally put a plate of fried green tomatoes in front of me, they're gone. Yeah. <laughs> get them. Yes. Nobody makes them quite like they do in the South. That's for sure. Very true. So, so you have this interesting adoption story that, you know, where your, your, your parents, your bio parents, they, they, they were well acquainted, I assume at least with your adoptive family. And they were, they were, yes. So, so how did that, how did that come? I mean that, or do you even know the story of how that, that all came up? Well, very interesting. I'll, I'll just put this out right up front. Uh, I actually do not have a relationship with my adoptive mother anymore. Um, we've not spoken in just over eight years because a lot of the things that I was told growing up happened to, I uh, apologize. That's the cat feeder <laughs> giving treats to the cat. Uh, <laughs> but growing up, a lot of the stories that I was told about my birth family happened to not be very accurate and the birth of my son, as well as a few um, things that just didn't add up, made me really go on this journey of finding my birth mother. Um, you know, you've got children. So one of the first things that they ask you when you go to the doctor, when you, after you find out you're pregnant is family medical history. And that was something that I had no idea about. Um, it was always kept really under wraps information about my birth family from adoptive mother. She was very controlling. Um, She wanted to make sure that she very much had a savior complex. So she had three biological sons, my brothers, she, they adopted me. And then later on, they actually adopted three other sons who lived with us, but were older than me. So I actually have six older brothers. Wow. So it's a, I kind of need a diagram when I get to talking about who is who and how does this relate? Um, so it was really, it was uh, a little difficult sometimes trying to figure out what the truth was and wasn't, but from, from what I've gathered, speaking to my birth mother and my birth father is that it was very well known in the small town that I'm from, that my parents wanted to adopt. Uh, they wanted a little girl. They wanted to adopt a little girl. And so when my birth mother became pregnant, they said, they just approached my parents and said, if it's a girl, do y'all want her? And here I am. Wow. Turned uh, out to be a girl. Yeah, uh, I guess that's convenient. It was convenient, yes. And, you know, um, as most adoptees know, and anyone involved in adoption, there's a lot of trauma that goes on, um, especially with a mother with who has mental health issues. There's a lot of mental health, um, a lot of mental health that she doesn't seek help for. So that's the main reason for the no contact, you know, you got to set boundaries. You have to protect yourself. 
And now as a mother, you have to protect your kids from any kind of toxic life, lifestyle, anything going on there. So um, it's, it's been for the best. I'm extremely thankful that I was adopted because I'm extremely close to my brothers. And then I was extremely close to my dad who just passed away last year. So I'm very, very thankful. Um, but with that comes along a lot of trauma. Oh, yes, it does. Yes, it does. You know, Amanda, my, my wife and I, we're an adoptive family. So we, we have four kids that are adopted right now. And yeah, you know, we need that Venn diagram sometimes to, to describe who all of our kids are because yes. we have two biological siblings that we did adopt. Um, okay. And we have two other kids who we adopted. One of them is my wife's half sister's half sister's little boy. Wow. Yes. Diagram. Yeah. We, we get into relational algebra at some point, you know, you have to carry <laughs> That's a good way to, I like that. <laughs> it's, I like it's, that. Yeah. It's, it's difficult, you know, for a lot of people don't, you know, because some people have this idea of family is just, you know, the people who share your direct DNA and, and, and they have not opened their, their mind to exactly what, what family can be otherwise. And so it's, it's really difficult. Yes, it is. And especially trying to explain that to someone who's not involved in the adoption triad, it can be, I mean, as soon as you start throwing words out like biological, they, you've lost them. So I have two biological half sisters. So, I mean, you just start going into this. I mean, exactly like you said, you, how did you word it again? Relational algebra. Relational algebra. I love that. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to use that because that, well, that's good. That's really yeah. good. You know, once once you've gotten into, into the depths of of how many different ways people can be connected, it's it's not an easy task to keep that you know figured out and straight in your mind. And I mean, sometimes I mean, it takes five minutes to describe to some people just how many different ways we are actually related to the, our children, and that's why I just call them my kids. Just kids, yes. I mean, legally speaking, I have biological stepkids. I have had foster kids. I have adopted kids. And uh -huh. one was kind of a kind of a kinship type deal. It got yeah. It's it's too much, too much to explain it. At the end of the day, if you live in my house and I have called you my kid, um, you, you've crossed into that world of people that you know I'll kill somebody for. You know, uh -huh. if if yeah. I have to, if I have to like like you're in that world and that's all that matters. You're now my officially my kid. Yes, yeah. I'm willing to do time for you. That makes you my kid. Right. And that's something that I wish more adoptive parents would understand is don't put the adoptive son or adoptive daughter in that because that was something I feel like was a huge, um, a huge trigger for me growing up. My mother would always refer to my brothers as her sons. And then it was me, the adoptive daughter or spring. We adopted her. It was very much, um, Hey, I did this thing. You know, I want you to to recognize and notice that I I adopted her. And what she didn't realize, and I don't know if she'll ever realize, is that's really traumatic because these are my brothers, and they have never, and they still never treat me any different. And I mean, they probably love me more than their blood brothers. You know, their blood siblings. And for her to make such a difference, it was very conflicting for me in as a as a kid i mean i actually studied psychology in college because i knew there was a lot of a lot of things that just didn't add up as far as how we were raised and the different things and sure enough mental illness was uh, a huge factor in those 
but I was actually having a conversation with one of my brothers and I was telling him, I didn't really understand why with her, I always felt like an outsider. I always felt like the adoptee, like the adopted kid, but with my brothers and my dad, I never felt that way. And the, and it was just like the, the light bulb. He said, well, sister, that's because we never treated you any different. She did. And it was like, hmm. so it wasn't really something that was my fault. You know, I felt like that because of how she treated me, not because of something I did. And that's something. So I have an adoptees group here that I facilitate in Oklahoma. And that's something that I've come across a lot with adoptees that feel, especially if there's biological siblings in the home um, that you've been adopted into, there's that conflict sometimes. And it's something that I let them know, hey, this is what my brother told me. And it just it registered. It really registered to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's good to hear that you had somebody in your life who was willing to pull your hair and pick yeah. on you. <laughs> well, uh, all my brothers wrestled. So I have six older brothers total. And so they all wrestled. So of course, I mean, I was like the crash test dummy for them. I mean, I loved it. Um, because if the boys could do it, sis could do it too. And so, like I said, I mean, they, they've never treated me any different. And it's, it's sad to me when I do see siblings that are treated different, um, even if they're not even in the adoption the realm or anything and parents treat them different. It's just heartbreaking to me because I do felt like I was treated differently by adoptive mother. Um, but I'm just so thankful that I had my brothers who were always, you know, my biggest fans, my hero, my protectors. And then my dad, who was just, you know, the greatest person I could ever imagine raising me. You know, and the other side of that, um, one thing that, that my older boys, my two older sons are out of the house now. And, um, my, my second oldest son once told me like, when we first jumped into this foster care thing, it was new and exciting and all that. And when we talked about adoption, they, they thought that was an, an awesome idea. And somewhere along the line, they got the idea in their head that, that we were adopting kids because they weren't good enough. And went, oh yeah. Yeah. Psychology is an interesting thing, you know, it is understanding how the human brain kind of works. I mean, because right. none of us will ever truly understand how it works. It's that's that's a no. mystery for God. Um, yeah. <laughs> because yes. I don't know about you, but most of my kids, I think, are a little bit crazy. Don't tell them I said that, though. I, I think I don't, I don't. I've not met many sane people in my life, and I, I've been around the world. I've I've done a lot, and I've not met many sane ones. So they're pretty rare. Yeah, I currently have two little ones on the other side of that wall over there. I don't know if y'all can hear it or not, but, um, they're, they're showing their insanity. <laughs> just a little, just a little. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a good thing. This podcast is all about kids and, and, and helping kids because otherwise I'd be, I'd be worried about trying to filter all that out later. It's not coming yeah. out. People are going to hear it because I have a lot of kids and they're, okay. they're a lot crazy. Yeah. That might be why you're crazy is because they've made you crazy. I don't know. I think I started that way. Okay. I'm pretty sure I started a little bit nuts. I mean, <laughs> we're the ones who stepped into this voluntarily. So uh, yeah, feel, that's true. That's true. Yeah. I feel like it, I have to take some responsibility for my own insanity. Yes. You brought it upon yourself. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> so now curious, uh, did you grow up yeah. knowing the adoption story or is that something you found out along the way? I did. It was always, you know, that we always, you know, those old time um, photo albums that you peel back and you stick the pictures on and you slide it back. 
after a while, they you can't open them anymore because they've kind of like melted to each other. So we had one of those that had a lot of different um, cards and letters and pictures from what I always referred to as the biologicals because it was both from mom and dad's side. Um, so there was, there was pictures, there was cards. I believe there was even um, some kind of announcement in the newspaper. Um, so I would often go into the hall closet and pull that out and just kind of look. Um, unfortunately, it was kind of discouraged at some points if I had questions. Um, and, you know, you can always sense as a kid if you ask your parents something and they really don't want to talk about it, like they get that tone. So I was oftentimes given that tone. Um, but I always knew it was kind of a joke. I loved Cabbage Patch dolls and adoptive mom actually used to collect them for me. So I was born in 83. So I have them um, from 83 all the way up till, I guess, until they stopped making them. And it was always said that I was found under a cabbage, pe- cabbage patch leaf out back. So <laughs> that's an interesting way to put it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Our, uh, yeah, I, I have a, our youngest son is he's adopted and, and we're very open with the stories with our kids, you know, with, because unfortunately the foster system, you only know what you know, you only know the information that you get handed. And some of it that, is pretty sparse and for his story we really don't know his story and so we've given him as much as you know age appropriate that that we can but uh he has a whole story he sat and told me the story of his adoption one day and as somebody with a little bit of a psych uh psychology type background there i was wildly interested to know because i don't know if you if you follow uh the the jordan peterson he's a psychologist from the okay from the university of toronto and absolutely he, okay he talks about archetypal stories and things like that and and so this kid one day he says to me he tells me the story of how he was adopted and he says that his mom and dad were trying to to get him um were, were trying to get him and keep him safe and keep him away from the snakes because the snakes were coming after them and so they they climbed up and they put him in in a tree and then they had to fight the snakes and then they were killed by the snakes, but they managed to save him. And the foster care people came and got him out of the tree and brought him to our house. And and that's how he got here. Now, um, the, the archetypal story is like the fear of snakes. That, that that's one that I'm like, wow, that's so true. You know, that, that guy's yeah. kind of a genius, but at the same time, absolutely none of that is anywhere close to true, you know? Yeah. It, it, but it's a story that he made up on his own that that you know we've we've told him what we know but we don't have much connection we didn't have much connection throughout that case they were kind of um you know they would show up at at uh meetings and court stuff but that was about it and we didn't right. we didn't have much contact available there they they weren't um they weren't looking to make themselves available for a whole lot of extra contact and so you know we don't have much to give him but he made up his own story because it was that important to him to to feel like he knew where he comes from. So I didn't argue with him with this story. Plus, he was about three when he came to me with that story. And I don't know if you know this or not, but you cannot win an argument with a three-year-old. So no, I you'll lose not to. every yeah. time. Every yeah. time. And it also sounds like he is, I'm not sure how old he is now, but at the time, he was much, he was very much trying to make it seem like his parents were heroes for you know they were absolutely not going to be the bad person they are going to be the good person and that's just his optimistic brain a kid's brain you know they never want to think bad of their parents 
Um, that was something that I, I, I struggled with because I had this adoptive mom who is very, very abusive, but she adopted me and she was supposed to take care of me and all this stuff. So it's very conflicting um, for a child to have this person who's supposed to take care of you and love you and protect you, but then they do anything but. So it sounds like his brain, that's like a defense mechanism for his brain to come up with this story where they seem like they're, you know, they've done the best for him. Yeah. And, and most of the kids we have um, know a decent portion of their story. As a matter of fact, his next older brother, he is eight now. Frankie's seven. And so um, his his next older brother is eight. And like, we know his story. That was mm-hmm. That's the one who is my wife's half-sister's half-sister. So okay. We know his story from a, fa- a family perspective. And, um, you know, there's lots of parts and pieces we can talk about. And, and the other older two kids that, that we had adopted, we, we knew their story fairly well. We still have some connections with some of their bio family. Good. Uh, you know, that, that's been something we've been able to, to hold on to some pieces of that. Um, right. Spent quite a, t- quite a decent amount of time with their grandmother until she passed a few years ago. And so, so, you know, those places we're able to give them like real life stories about that. Yeah. And I think it's really important to have some kind of knowledge of your history and where you come from. I mean, I, up and up until I was pregnant with my son at 30, I really had not, I didn't have a lot of desire to meet or to really know much about my biological family. Um, there was a few health concerns that I was curious about, but other than that, um, it wasn't until I was pregnant with my son that I thought, you know, I should probably look into finding out who they were. Is there any kind of medical concerns that, you know, I might want to look out for? Um, And I mean, honestly, it was, it was that, but as I went through the process, you know, I waited till my son was born. Um, Like I mentioned earlier, I'm extremely close to my brothers and my dad. Um, I also have another woman who I I call my real mom. I know everyone kind of, especially when you're in the adoption realm. It's like, okay, who is that? Well, who I call my real mom, her name is Becky. Uh, She is my son's BB. And that is, you know, of course my husband's mom and then her are his grandparents, his grandmothers. And so I spoke to the, uh, to my brothers and to her explained, Hey, I'm, I'm really thinking about seeking out my birth mother. This is here are my reasons why my one brother was like, you don't have to have a reason why you can just do it because you want to do it. There's, and you know, it's like my concern was I didn't want them to feel like they hadn't been good enough brothers or that they did not fulfill that sibling, you know, space for me that had nothing to do with it. Um, so it was great that they were so supportive of me going on this journey because truth be told, if they had not been supportive, I would not have done it. It's like, they mean everything to me. They have just always been there through a lot in my life. So um, I'm just so thankful they were really supportive of that. And I hired a private investigator. It took him three days to find her. And in a car, I went to right outside of Detroit, Michigan. Wow. You know, we <laughs> live in a world where we can find people so easily either that way or even through the, some of the DNA test companies like 23andMe or Ancestry.com, you know, you know, it's, it's amazing how connected we, we can be in this world and find, right. find biological families so quick and easy that it just wasn't a possibility for the generation behind us. 
I know. And that's so sad. And I'm, of course, and you probably are too part of so many adoption, some kind something to do with adoption on Facebook, like all the different groups. And I love to read the stories where they've done the 23andMe or the Ancestry.com and they have like a direct biological parent. And it's like, whoa, that's, I mean, the chances of that happening are pretty slim. Um, I mean, that was definitely not the case for me. I had done both of those tests more so to find out. I mean, I live in Oklahoma now. I've lived here since 2006. This is Indian country. I mean, there are Native Americans, you know, just everywhere. This is, you know, where so many of them live. And I often would get asked, am I Native American? It's like, no, I'm Scottish and Irish. And then, you know, on the inside, it's like, well, I really honestly don't know. I have no idea. It's like, it's what my dad always said. You know, I've got the green eyes. I have some red hair. When I get out in the sun, I'm really, really white without a spray tan. So <laughs> I'm probably Scottish and Irish. So I, I went ahead and I did both of those tests and I'm Scottish and Irish. So I wasn't too awfully surprised, but to see those that happen where people make these connections based off of, you know, their DNA is just pretty incredible. Yeah. You know, I, I've done the same test and, um, I don't think my test results were quite as identifiable because okay. everybody has always looked at me my entire life and asked me in those important questions. Like, what are you anyways? Yes. I am. I am what you would call ambiguously Brown. I, I can be just about anything you want to imagine. Okay. And, I I have been I you know I've been I've been called every racial slur you've ever heard I think except for maybe some of the Asian slurs other than that I I've been called pretty much all of them I've been called a terrorist I've been told <laughs> to go back to my own country with hate and malice and, oh, and right. voice and when I was in the army with still had a nice high and tight you know fit and trim and a uh, forty inch step the whole nine yards I mean it was obvious I was military every airport I walked into they wanted to do a bomb residue test on me. It was oh, a random test. It was a, it was a random poll, but I'm like, you know, you people are kind of getting a little crazy with your randomness, you know. Yes. The it's crazy part is time you fly. That that was pre 9/11 actually. And oh. even at that point I, I still saw a lot of that. And so I eventually did do the 23 and me test and um it came back with a picture of Europe and a great big circle. And it said all of that. All of that. That's good. That's that helped a lot, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I know that there I had a lot of um, a lot of uh, the European area, and I, I hear some rumors that we we probably have some Spanish influence in our blood, um, because my grandma, who always swore she was she was German, her middle name was Juanita. Okay, I, I'll let you figure that out because she was born back in the '30s, I want to say, and I don't know many people who are picking latin names in in the 30s for their german kids but but that no. was the thing and i know that somewhere back in the family history there's a lot of irish um or scottish there that it was a um mcdonald's we we've got a lot of of uh of that in the family somewhere so mm -hmm. i just tell everybody that we're black irish because it's a mix between spanish and irish and hey, it works though right it does because they confuse it confuses them and they don't know what black Irish is and so I just and they're not they're not going to ask any more questions after that. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's people make their assumptions based on on the area on, on what their experience is with people and for kids who are adopted or kids and trust me, I've had that conversation with my mom because both my mom and dad were very very white and I'm like, okay. all right, so is there anything you want to tell me some kind of family secret what, what's right. going on here and uh because 
because I do not look like a, a lot of the rest of um, the family does. And so and as we've gotten older and, and all the kids have kind of actually matured more into adults, I'm like, okay, I see more similarities now between me and mm -hmm. a couple of my siblings or one of my cousins specifically where I go, okay, there's something in here that that is not the pure German that my grandma always tried to convince us of. But right. for me, it was, we were just, it was family and, and we were, we were just regular, normal, old biological family, nothing special, nothing extra there. And, and that's the way I was raised. And so I, I had that sense of belonging, but right. something that a lot of adoptive adopted kids don't necessarily get to experience as well. And so how have you handled that as you walk down those roads? I think growing up, one of the things that I would do is really convince myself that I looked like my family. Um, there's a picture of my dad's mother and I, you know, 15 years ago, I would have swore that we were twins. And now looking at the picture, it's like, no, that was just me trying to protect my heart. And so funny thing is my dad, when I say dad, I mean, I obviously mean adoptive dad, uh, just to clarify, but he's my dad. Uh, his nickname was Red because when he did have hair, he, he didn't have hair most of the time that I was alive. Um, it was red. And all of his biological children and his biological grandchildren all have red hair. So in the summer, if I'm out in the sun quite a bit, I'll get one or two little red peaks through here. Um, adoptive mom used to actually say it was my horns coming through. She, <laughs> she might not have been too off base on that one but I mean I would hold on to those red hairs and it's like oh I'm, I'm just I'm just like you know my maiden name is Robertson and so it's like I'm holding on to those Robertson jeans holding on real good with those little red hairs so I think growing up I really tried to connect as much as I could it could have been falsely in hindsight just as you know a defense mechanism but I, I very much felt uh, since I wasn't redheaded and I really didn't look like any of my brothers. I mean, especially one of my, one of the boys that was adopted, he is dot Indian. So we look nothing alike. Uh, funny enough, we act a lot alike though. <laughs> so it's very much a, a nature versus nurture in my opinion. So I feel like I latched onto a lot of that just to kind of protect my heart. Uh, but it was very difficult growing up and in a small town, everyone knew I was adopted. So at school, I didn't exactly make the best choices um, because if someone would say something about the fact that I was adopted and, you know, my real parents didn't want me anyway, I may or may not have snapped back and said, well, you were an accident. So, you know, it's like, you know, you just try to, you know, protect yourself. And that was that was what I did. But it was it was pretty hurtful growing up, but my brothers were always very assuring of, you know, hey, sis, if you need me, I can I can come down to the school and take care of because it was always boys. I could take care of myself with girls. But I mean, it was, you know, it was kind of difficult. But, you know, now I have my son and it's kind of freaky to me to look at him and see so many similarities because growing up, I didn't have that. And so seeing him and just seeing like some just some of the motions that he does with his face or his eyes or his mouth, he's eight. So he's very expressive, just like I am. And it's just like, to me, it's just mind blowing how strong genetics can be. Oh yeah. Yeah. That nature versus nurture argument has always been an interesting one to me because I think the real yeah. answer is yes, both end. 
Yes. Yeah. I have kids who, who, who use some of my, my, the same phrases that I, that I use and I see things and I'm like, huh, I see, I see me coming out in you. And I know that's not, I know that's not nature because I know I wasn't there for the, for that, that event, you know, and, but, but we, we, so much of that, we just, we pick up and we hold on to it. And even, even when I, I, I've talked to my, my stepmom, um, sometime back we were talking one day and she stopped and she says, because I lost, I lost my dad back in, uh, in 15, he, we lost him to some, uh, no, 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 get this right. It was November of, uh, 14 and, <laughs> and, uh, and she looks at me and she's like, wow, you remind me so much of your dad. Sometimes you sound just like him. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, now that he's gone, one there's one part of me that wants to hold on to that, and then there's another part that's like, nah, no, yeah. don't say that, <laughs> right? But but yeah, we 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 give so much of ourselves to to the kids in these ways, and hopefully mm-hmm. it's the good stuff that we give for the most part. Yeah. So you know, your your adoption story definitely had its its difficult parts there, right? Right. It, it had some hard parts that were really hard, and so you know, as as an adoptive parent myself. And and to whoever else you know in the in the audience who's an adoptive parent, like what what would be your best pieces of advice if somebody was was raising a kid who wasn't biologically theirs? How can you make that the best possible scenario for them? I think one of the most important things is to be extremely upfront and honest. Like I shared, I it's just I've always known that I was adopted, so it was not a thing of. Oh, I turn a certain age and boom, surprise, we we have we were hiding the secret um, because I do know people that that's happened to. And it was I mean, it was devastating to them. Like everything they have known for 20 years is now is that a lie? And so I think that is the, the very first thing. Um, I think the second thing is patience. I don't think a lot of adoptive parents understand how much trauma is involved. Um even as an adoptee, there was so long that I was in the fog and didn't really realize it. Didn't realize how, you know, I don't want to say damaged, but kind of damaged I was and how, you know, even with my psychology background, I sought therapy and went to counseling and really had to work through some of those issues that I obviously felt were my fault that were not. Um, and just, you know, coming to grips with the reality of this is the truth and this is what's not the truth. Um, so with as far as being an adoptive parent, I think having grace with your kids is going to be really, really important because they're already feeling a lot of feelings that they may not know how to process. They may not have, depending on when they came to live with, with adoptive parents, they might have not have been taught coping skills. I know that was something I was never taught. I did not know how to cope with my feelings. And I have really strong emotions. I'm a really emotional person. I will cry. Ooh, you can look at me a certain way and like it will trigger something and I will just cry. Um, sometimes it's a good cry. Sometimes it's not a good cry. And so I think uh, being acceptance, accepting of counseling and, and therapy is, is the second most important. Okay, guys, this is as good a place as any to stop and talk about this. We're talking with uh, Spring Gray about the need for some counseling and therapy and people to help us with that. The other side of that is that we need community. We need people who are like us, who've been through some of the things we have. And that's what me and Amanda are trying to build here on the side a little bit. We've had a couple people sign up already. 
Um, and if you haven't heard from me yet, I'm sorry. I, I just waiting to, to kind of fill up a little bit of a group here. And I'd love to be able to start this group where we can have a small community of foster or adoptive parents who are going through some of the th- same things, who have similar lived experiences and have some hope to share with others and some empathy in those hard moments. So if you're interested in all in a group like that, email me at jason at fostercarenation.com and let me know that you're interested in the foster care group. And so we're going to jump right back in with spring grade. Thanks a lot, guys. I hope to hear from you. (laughs) Yeah, you and I are both talking the same world there because um, Amanda couldn't make it to the uh, to the first interview that we did today because she was had a kid at a therapy appointment and um, she's got to take another kid to another another activity later on. And she's going to take all the kids with her because we have a parent meeting with a psychologist that another kid sees. And so it's, that's a big part of our life, you know? Um, you know, one kid has two separate therapists because one does play therapy and the other therapist does equine therapy. Mm, Okay, good. So yeah, we're just, you know, we, we point that in any direction we can and we really chasing whatever help we can find in that way, because it's, man, it's the the trauma adoption is real. And it's something that as an adoptive parent myself, we don't want to hear that. Right. I mean, let's let's be honest. If you if you've adopted a kid, like especially if you did it you know, with the right reasons in, in mind, you, mm-hmm. you just want to help these kids. Right. Well, as adoptees, we don't want to accept the fact that we've got trauma and we've got baggage and we've got these issues. You know, it's like we're in denial for so long, most of us, that when like like I mentioned the you know, the fog, it's like when you come out of it, you're like, Man, if I just kind of accepted this earlier, like how much further along could I have been? I mean, it wasn't until I was 22 or 23 and my husband and I, we had been dating for a little while and he said, girl, why are you so angry? And I was like, you know, I mean, I'm in the relationship with the man that I know I'm going to marry. I, I'm a licensed minister. I, you know, have an amazing relationship with God. I felt like I was happy you know, and I really deep down was not, I was a very angry person at the things that had happened to me that I had just kind of sucked it up, pushed it down, bottled it up. And when he spoke that to me, it was just one of those moments where it's like, huh, you know, I kind of am angry about this. And that just, he, I bet in hindsight, he wished he had not have asked that because I mean, just all these things came up and out and it's like, you know, I think I should probably talk to like a counselor. And it started out, I I went to Oral Roberts University here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I talked with a couple of the counselors there. And one of them was like, um, you might want to actually see a psychiatrist. And I was like, what are you trying to say? You know, and it's like, I, well, just to be honest, I think you really, you need to work with someone that's more familiar with adoption and all of that because she was getting lost. I mean, what did it matter to Well, She was getting lost in all the, you know, here, there, and who's this and how does this relate? And so for me, it was really, really important to find someone that specialized or at least had some knowledge of adoption as far as working through the trauma and going through therapy and, and working my, working out the issues and the kinks. Yeah. Finding the right therapist is ridiculously important and I'll bang that drum until the, till the end of days, because I, I I had my fair share of stuff that I needed to work through. And 
uh, and Amanda, my wife, grew up in a, in a house that was it was a drug house. Um, okay, it was yeah. not uncommon for her as a as a young teenage girl to get up and get ready for school, and there was a nude man playing the piano in the living room, high out of his gourd. Uh, right, as you might imagine, she had her fair share of trauma growing up. You know, yeah. drug houses tend to tend to do that, and yeah. so she she you know I I had started reaching out to a guy, and I went to saw saw this one particular therapist and i'm not going to say he was a horrible therapist but he was a horrible therapist for me it was right. not the right match and i i reached out to a few people that i know and got a couple recommendations and found the guy that i was like all right we're going to go try this dude instead and it turns out dr tom is the right guy for me and and for my wife as well and that was awesome that we found a guy that worked for both of us and he yeah. has been like he's been a regular monthly part of our life for the last three or four years now i bet mm-hmm and it's it's been so helpful to have that third party who can speak into both of our lives, you know. Right. And and when we had um, my uh, my oldest son, uh, his his wife, when she she was around a lot, and we talked a lot, and and one day she asked me, she said, "Do you think I need to see a therapist?" And I'm like, "Um, yeah. I I mean, I she had a very traumatic backstory, and um, one of the more traumatic ones that I've seen. And with having had like close to thirty kids come to the house, that's saying something." Yeah, the story was that traumatic, and and she she was looked at me like she was offended, and she's like, "What do you think I'm crazy?" I said, "Nah, not any crazier than me. How about that? You yeah. know, I see a guy. You know this about me. I see a guy on a regular basis. I think it's important because you've been through hard stuff, and having yeah. somebody help you process that is always valuable. And, and for her, you know that that's something that um, I believe she's." Last I heard, she was she was kind of getting you know starting to open up to that idea, but we'll see how that works out. But man, we all need some help from somebody who knows more about life than we do. Yeah, and I think it's really important in a marriage. That was something that you know I have obviously abandonment issues. Um, mine are uh, mine are twofold. You know, I had a birth mother who you know placed me for adoption, and then I have an adoptive mother who you know, did all the, the things and everything to me. And, you know, so it's kind of like a double abandonment. So of course I've got abandonment issues. So something that our therapist has been great about is explaining things to my husband. And he's, I mean, he's got patience of Job. I mean, God, when I say God made him, especially for me, he surely did because I don't think anybody else would be able to handle all that came with me. Um, and you know, you know, he's a good guy when he's got all of your brother's approval, like all my brothers approve of him and love him. And, you know, we've been together 15 years and they talk to him more than they do me a lot. So, um, I, I do have conversations with them about that often. Like, um, hello, sister, me, <laughs> but you know, our therapist is great about, you know, explaining, you know, how I feel. Cause there, I, there's times that I really can't put into words, like, what I'm feeling, how, you know, I'm trying to process these things, especially with the abandonment, abandonment issues to him. And she has been really great about navigating that for, for us jointly so that he doesn't just think I'm more wackadoo than I am, you know, a little bit's okay, but we can't let him know how, how much, you know, we got to keep that in the wraps. Yeah. Uh, Amanda and I had a conversation once it's been a few years ago now. And, and I asked her, I'm like, you know, at what point in our relationship did you think, did you finally understand like when I said forever, I meant forever that, that an argument wasn't going to mean 
No, I mean because she has she has no real connection with her biological father. He was not a good guy in her in her mm-hmm. life. She met him twice, and both were bad and painful and horrible experiences. And so, you know, I, I'm like, when did you start believing? Like, I meant what I said. And she yeah. thought for a minute, and she said, it was probably about ten years in. And I was like, what? <laughs> it took that long? Like, but but yeah. I had no idea at that point she was still dealing with all that stuff. Yeah. I think that's that's definitely some some conversations my husband and I have had. He said the same thing, like because at, at growing up, if there was an argument, it was never I was never allowed to have a different opinion than adoptive mom. No one can. If you have a different opinion than her, then you completely disagree with everything. And there's no relationship. She very much has a relationship with one person at a time and that doesn't last very long. And it's just like a rotating door of people in her life and out of her life, um, as well as, as her children. Like there's, there's not relationships with her and her, most of her children. And it's a really sad life. Um, but me seeing that it's like, you know, I'm very assertive. I am, you know, very extroverted, but with my husband, it's like, I feel like I couldn't disagree with him on some things. Because if I did, then he's going to be gone. And that was something that we had to work through as well. It's like, you know, you you can lock Frosted Flakes and I like Fruit of Pebbles. It's okay. Like the world's not going to end if we disagree. And I say that, but that's that realistically, that's how it was growing up. I mean, you know, my, my dad worked all the time. He was a very successful attorney and businessman. So he was, he was. I don't want to say absent, but he was, he was just busy providing, you know, an amazing life for, for us. So, you know, he didn't see a lot of that and there was not a lot of arguments between them because they weren't together that often. So um, that's been something that's, that's been a process as well um, in, in our marriage. Narcissism is a difficult one to deal with. It is. Yes. (laughs) I don't know that I hold the power to, to diagnose, um, your, your mom, but <laughs> I, uh, I, my, my PhD in psychology, it's hanging on the wall over here. You can't see it, but I wrote it myself with crayons. So, okay. At least uh, you got your favorite color. That's it. That's it. Yeah. I, I, I say a lot of times I, I have the experiential PhD in, in psychology yeah. just because, you know, because of all we've seen and it's been one of those things that, I mean, I've even had to kind of apologize to my older kids. I'm like, yeah, look guys, I was young when you all showed up in my life. I knew nothing. You were being raised by, by a dumb 20 something year old, you know, what was I 20? Oh, I was probably 22, 23 years old when I, when I was, you know, first became dad to some people. And that's, that's kind of, you're not terribly smart at 22, 23 years old. I found. No, you're not. <laughs> that frontal matter. lobe hasn't developed yet. Yeah, not matter, fully. I remember my son coming over one day and and uh, my little guy was having a meltdown in the other room and I called him in here and I let the the air out of my my little seat here, my my office chair, so I was down on down on his level and and we uh, you know got down there and and had a conversation with him and just kind of kind of broke down what was going on and, and got him calmed down i'm like all right yeah okay so we're good now he's like, yep yeah I, and he's fine i'm reach out boom give me knuckles boom he runs off to the other room and continues playing and my oldest son looks at me he goes where the hell was this guy when i grew up <laughs> still figuring it out still figuring it out <laughs> that's what i said you, you you were building him 
You hadn't finished yeah. building him yet. I didn't know what the heck I was doing yet. I was just I was just a great big dummy who who was trying to raise kids the way that I thought I was raised and I, I didn't have it figured out. And right. now that he is well, he, he turns twenty four here and I think a no, no, no. He just turned twenty four. That's a different kid who's got a birthday coming up. He just turned twenty four a couple weeks ago, I think. And um and I'm like, look, do you realize that like I was raising kids at, at the age you are now? And he's like, Yeah, that's terrifying. Yeah. Well, you're lucky you survived. Do you you remember Lilo and Stitch? Yeah, you're experiment six two six. That's <laughs> amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, but I mean, we, we don't realize that in those moments. I thought I knew what the heck I was doing and I didn't have a clue. And, yeah. and his story specifically because Amanda and I got together and she already had him. He was he was from a previous relationship. Biological dad had bounced and she mm-hmm. was raising him more or less, you know, trying to take care of things on her own to the best of her ability. And I showed up. He was two years old. He just started calling me dad. And he was dad forever and ever. Amen. Until that one day a few years ago when we got a phone call that said, I just got an interesting phone call from a guy. Um, he says he's my stepbrother. And, you know, well, you know, we always were looking for the right time to have this conversation and it never would present itself because, you know, our, our life has been fraught with many, many struggles and, and traumatic situations and things. He dealt with some depression stuff as a teenager. So every time we thought we, we you know, well, I think we're, we're in a pretty good place. We might we might talk with him about this soon. And then something big would happen and, and we would put it back off because it wasn't the right time. And a kid who's dealing with any kind of, you know, depression or suicidal right. and stuff like that's a big wrench to throw in that gear. And we never had, yeah. It. yeah, we never felt like we had the right moment. And so for us, you know, when, when that moment came, it, it was not like we had planned it, like to, to sit down and have a conversation. It was a moment where this all just kind of blew up in our faces. And I'll be honest with you at the end of it, I was like, oh, finally, everything's in the open there. I no longer mm-hmm. have any secrets left in this world. Yeah. And he took it well, I assume. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you know, his, before we got off the phone, that's, that's the thing. You know, my, my wife was really concerned about that conversation right? and, and he could tell, I mean, he, he knows her that, you know, they, they share a lot of that, that uh, nature versus nurture. They share a lot of the nature in that one. And he, could, yes. and he said, you know, mom, this changes nothing. Right. Right. I just want you to know that this changes nothing. And, but I mean, it was it was just part of our story that we had we had to go through and it was that's why when i talk to people i ask about you know whether or not you you had heard that story when you were a kid and how it was Mm -hmm. because because you know we didn't do it the best way possible now mind you it was you know my wife didn't adopt him i did because i was the stepdad technically speaking yeah all my kids are just kids and that's what's important to me right I mean, that's, that was something that I was very much that I expressed to my brothers and my real mom is listen, like if I do, because I wasn't actually sure if I would be able to find my biological mother because I had a first name and that was it. Um, I did not have a last name. I knew what hospital I was born in. I had been told she lived in Michigan now, but I didn't really have a lot of information. So when the private investigator came back after three days was like, Hey, I think I found her. I'm like, Oh, and she had, I mean, she had remarried. She had had adopted five kids. I mean, you know, my, my biggest concern was not go, not coming into her life and disrupting what was going on there. 
So I actually initially reached out to my half sister and kind of like, hey, remember me? Because she had reached out to me years and years. I mean, I was maybe 16 or 17 when she had reached out to me and had wanted absolutely nothing to do with her. That was no, that was the last thing I needed as a 16 or 17 year old girl. That was just not what I needed. So I actually reached back out to her and, you know, explained, Hey, I, I would like to meet with you. And her name's my birth mother's name's Jackie, you know, meet with Jackie, but I do not want to come in and cause any kind of issues. Like, you know, I was told she was remarried. Does, does he know about me? Does he, you know, what, what's the dynamic there? And she had been very upfront with him. He knew about me. They basically had been just sitting and waiting for 20 something years for me to give them a call. So, yeah. And so it went, I mean, it went, it went really well. It was one of those moments when I finally met her and hugged her for the first time. It was just kind of like, huh, well, this is, you know, my biggest concern was waiting and maybe something happening to her and her passing away before I ever got the chance to meet her. And then you live with that regret. So I'm very, very happy that I got to meet with her and, you know, spent a little time with her. I went back and visited a couple of times and, you know, it was, it was, a, I would definitely suggest for anyone that is maybe on, you know, teeter tottering on whether or not they should seek out their, their biological family, do it. Don't have any regrets because you never know if you reach out and they've already passed or, you know, you just, you just never know. And then you'll always have that regret. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, but it's fear, right? That yeah. thing that keeps us from so much in our life. And, you know, I think it was actually one of the Jordan Peterson uh, things I was watching one day and, and he talks about how you're, what the, the treasure you seek lies on the other side of your fear. It does. And it, it really, truly does. Yeah. You know, but none of us, you know, I'm just going to say one of my bigger fears has no treasure on the other side and that's called heights. I'm not jumping out of any airplanes. I don't like to get on the roof and clean out the gutters. Christmas okay. lights, they are one ladder high and that's it. That's it. Okay. <laughs> my, my big fear is that they don't hold any treasures on the other side. I promise. <laughs> I'm just terrified of that one. But all the things that we, we think are, are so, can be so damaging to us, you know, that's, that's where we where we, we find the real treasure, you know, and, you know, for me, one, one of those things for me, honestly, was, was I grew up in a, in a church that to be polite, I'll just, you know, the way that, the way that I saw it, I did not agree with what they taught and it felt fairly judgmental and it felt mm -hmm. very, um, very much like they forgot the, the verses in there that, that talked about love or, or they, right. they didn't know what that word meant. And, um, been to those, definitely been to those churches. Yeah. So I grew up in that world. So when I, when I, when I left that, I, I decided I was, I was just going to be an atheist for a while. And I eventually figured out I did not have enough faith to be an atheist. And I started to believe that the agnostics maybe had something figured out because to say you can't possibly know, well, I can talk to you people easier and, and as life would have it, you know, God has this way of reaching out and getting a hold of people. And so, I, I've, I've been on a faith journey for, for quite a while and, and really, really found a much better place. Um, mm -hmm. I know you mentioned that, that you were a, a licensed minister. Yep. So I'm curious, how, how has faith played a part in your life? Is that something you grew up with, something you found mm -hmm. later in life? You know, how's that, how's that played out? 
So I was always raised in church. I was actually raised in a um, Pentecostal holiness church um, up until actually up until I left to come to Oral Roberts. I was raised in the same church up the holler, the same little holler. And, um, you know, we're very we very much believe in, you know, signs and wonders and that, you know, God's got a reason for everything and that it is, you know, very, very spiritual church. And so it was really interesting when God sent me to Oklahoma, I was kind of like, Oh, you know, I don't, I don't really want to go to Oklahoma. You know, Rob Parsley has a church or has a school in Ohio, which is much closer to Virginia than, than Oklahoma. And so my son just got home from, from, uh, from school. You want to come say hi? Hi. Hey bud. <laughs> okay. Go be quiet. Um, I'll give you your iPad a little bit. Okay. I'm actually using his iPad to, to do this. <laughs> okay. So, um, so yeah, so God actually sent me to Oral Roberts and, um, I grew up always saying I would never marry a pastor's kid. I would never date a pastor's kid. And so God laughed and my husband's a pastor's kid. And so his parents are pastors. And so we're really involved in the, in his church here. And then also a couple other churches in, in the area. You know, there's an old song by, uh, I believe it was Van Zant, And the, the line I love is if you want to hear God laugh, just tell him your plans. And that's, that's exactly how I felt when, you know, it's like, I didn't want to leave my family in Virginia. And so but I knew that my husband was here in Oklahoma. And so I met him three weeks after I'd moved here and we've been here ever since. So I've always been, you know, a huge believer. Um, I don't want to say that I'm a religious person because those were the ones that crucified Jesus, you know, and, but I'm a huge believer in, you know, God is real. And there's, there's absolutely no coincidences in life. My husband and I've talked about just things in our life that, you know, one little thing um, would have completely thrown off the trajectory of our life together and what God intended to happen. So I'm um, just, you know, I've always been raised in church and, you know, continue to, to believe. And I feel like that's really what got me through a lot of the, the trauma as a child is just my belief in God and knowing that God had a bigger purpose for this. And now as an adult, I can see, yeah, I was strong enough to go through that. God knew that I was strong enough to go through that. And now like today I can share my story and as a survivor and as an adoptee. Yeah. And, and you know, my favorite part is that you can tell your story and help other parents who have adopted kids in their life and, and understand how to do it better. Yes. You know, we, we saw generations of kids who were, who are maybe, maybe adopted never found out, never knew about it, or that they didn't until they were in their, you know, fifties or sixties, maybe. And and it was always hidden and pretend like it wasn't a thing. And Mm -hmm. it's so challenging as we come into this world that we're in now where everybody thinks like the, the viewpoint is different. It is. It's more acceptable now, but our lives aren't different. The people who we grew up around, how we grew up, is not necessarily different. And we've had to learn how to handle this. Right nobody's nobody's ever done much as far as helping us uh helping us figure out how to do this properly um in our life and that's that's part of what the reason why we have this podcast is so that people like you can tell your story and and inform the rest of us like 
I, I, you know, when I ask questions like, you know, what would what would you say to parents to do properly? You know, how you can do this properly? Which because, I mean, I can tell you how we did it. I can't yeah. do it with the best possible outcome. Right, and it's going to be different. I mean, the kids, you're going to know your kids best, hopefully. So, I mean, I know that if I mean we have we thought about adoption, we talked about adoption, we talked about fostering. I would love to do respite care. Um, we've actually talked to my to our son about it. I mean, he's eight right now, and it's something that in you know two, three, four more years we are definitely going to look into. But for me, having a biological child and then maybe bring it in another child, you know, that's not biological. That's something that we have to have conversations with as well with our son. And I mean, we had we started having conversations about you know possible fostering two, three years ago. So he was five or six. And so you're going to know your kid best, but I a hundred percent think that being open and honest up front is the most important thing for sure. Yeah. You know, because we can deal with just about anything if we, if we have the truth to deal with. Yes, exactly. Yes. Dealing with lies though, that makes it so difficult. And I had mentioned with, with our son, like dealing with, with that story was so very difficult me personally one of my core values is honesty right you know i made it a point to never make any statements that were not 100 percent true now i can't say that i didn't allow deception to continue on in that time frame but you know i've had to i had to live with that and i'd be honest with you as i as i walked through that like that affected me that really affected right. me and so just you know having that that opportunity to be 100 percent honest and even one of our my other kids who um our, my wife and I's biological son that we have together um you know after the whole you know the rest of the story came out he asked a question he said you know so what other stories are you hiding dad and I'm mm. like mm, yeah i get it like i can't even be mad at you for asking that question yeah you know i mean right. he, he knows that here's a great irony because when my wife and i met she was still legally married um it, our oldest son's dad had had bounced and was not part of our part of our life and never had been and uh and so we had to fund the divorce and then we had to fund the wedding as well and that took money right. and that took time it did for, yeah for a young family I mean, we were already raising our my, my wife's half sister and then we had you know our oldest son and then the second oldest our biological came along so right off the bat we're we're raising three kids on like twenty thousand dollars a year it yeah was, it's a lot yeah it's a lot of money and to to come up with and not a big pot to draw it out of we didn't have no. money to fund a divorce or a marriage or adoptions and i eventually ended up having to to adopt my own biological son because in the way the state law is written she was legally married when he was born and they would not put my name on the birth certificate. Yeah. And that's something that definitely needs to be changed. Um, that and also the cost of adoption. I mean, it's just out. I mean, it's a multi-billion dollar industry that these agencies are, are making money off of. I mean, these attorneys are making money off of and, you know, we hear politicians complain about, you know, all these children, you know, they, they don't have forever homes. They're in these orphanages. They're in foster care. If you would make it more affordable, I mean, they, it would be much easier. You know, the, easy, the cheapest way is through fostering to adopt. But that takes time, you know, and then these kids are not you're not guaranteed to be able to adopt these kids either. 
So the system is just the system is messed up for sure. Yeah, it's a broken system for sure, but I don't think we're going to unbreak the system anytime soon, mostly because we screwed around and let humans be involved in it. And if humans are involved in it, it's going to be broken. Yes. And when money's involved, you know, get a little corruption happening. Yes. <laughs> you know, money and politicians, and, and they don't always, you know, look out for the best interest of the right people. And, you know, unfortunately, yeah. kids are are the, the ones who who deal with most of the, the problems out of that because I mean, let's be honest they're They don't have a vote in, they in don't. the political system. Nope. And I'm not convinced that we wouldn't be better off if we let toddlers, you know, elect some of our politicians. We're, we wouldn't be in worse shape. That's for sure. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I believe kids have a much better judge of character than most adults do. Yep. Toddlers, drunk people and leggings. Yep. Yep. You know, it's funny because I can, I can be in the grocery store and, you know, for the listeners that can't, you know, who are just listening, if you haven't seen a picture of me, um, let's just say that, that I, people don't always look at me and make great assumptions. I am ambiguously brown. I have a weird, actually today it looks horrible, but I have actually have a mohawk shaved into, into my head. Um, I've got tattoos all over me. Uh, I've got a long black beard. And I can be in a grocery store and a gal will be there, have her, her little daughter there and sitting in the, in the cart and, or the buggy. If you're from the South, um, buggy. had to get my Southern lingo going there, but, uh, but ha have a little girl sitting there and I'll be getting something off a shelf and a little girl will smile at me and wave and, and all that. And mom looks, takes one look and she's nervous. Next thing she's in the next aisle, she's hurrying out of there. And I'm like, yeah, here's the thing that, that little girl. She sees through all my BS. She see, yes. I use some of these things just to, it's, it's, it's more peaceful life not to have to deal with some folks, but, but sure. that toddler sees through it all. Yeah. You they know. sure do. They, they'll, and, and they'll tell you the truth too. You ask, you ask, I mean, I mean, even my eight year old, you ask him, how, how do I look today? Ooh, you better be ready for the answer. Cause they will tell you the truth. <laughs> I'm glad that's not just my kids. Yeah, that's all kids. <laughs> yeah, my, mine, mine are are pretty honest with it. Unless there's cookies involved, unless there's you know, who ate the donut, right? That doesn't that doesn't count. That's cheating. <laughs> we still have half a donut that went was unaccounted for this morning. I don't know where it went. Yes. I've, just, I've decided that it doesn't really matter too much, you know. For no. But yeah, so just figuring out what kids really need and, and allowing us as adults to put that as our our first priority that that's so difficult for so many people to, to do that and and it sounds like you you've got a couple people in your life who have, have done that for you they really have yes very very thankful for them you know and you mentioned you know that whole coincidences conversation and i'll be honest um i'm of the opinion now i don't think coincidences really exist no no, I don't, I don't believe, I truly don't believe they do because I mean, you just think about certain things and how the, if just one little thing deviated that would have messed up the whole path. So I just can't, I just can't believe that it's a coincidence and that God didn't have his hand in, you know, certain, th especially things in my life for sure. You know, when, when we moved down to Tennessee to live out there, uh, we moved in with my grandpa because he had, he had terminal cancer and we stayed with him till he passed. And as I understand it, um, we were supposed to get the house after he passed because we moved from Missouri down to Tennessee to take care of him. We were supposed to get the house. 
Um, either he, he got rid of the wrong will or he'd never put it in or whatever. I, there, there was a lot of weird family dynamics in that, in that family. So whether or not that, that was how it all worked out, I don't know. All I know is that when I was in the second grade and, and we were supposed to get the house after he passed and it didn't happen and we ended up moving back here to Missouri and you know, my mom was, she was, it was her family my mom's side of the family. She was pretty angry about that for a lot of years. And I look at it and go, wow, but I was, I thought I was supposed to grow up in White Bluff, Tennessee. Yeah. yeah. And if I had, how different would that experience have been? And how many kids' lives would we have been able to impact that way? Very true. Very, very true. God has a plan, and I'm not certain we get to get away from it most of the time. <laughs> no, no. You can only run so far. I mean, look at Jonah. We just had VBS last week, and that was something my son was learning. And it's like, you know. Jonah thought he could run from God. He ended up in the belly of a big a big fish. So for three days and three nights. Yes, for three days and three nights, my son yeah. says. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, it it shows that it worked. He he learned the story. Yes. But, you know, so many of us are so busy running away from that thing that that God wired us to do. And mm-hmm. so for for the folks out there, I hope that you know maybe they can just be a little bit more inspired to actually decide that this is what they want to do. They want to step in and help some somebody because that's what, what they've been told they're supposed to do. That's, that's what God wired them for. Right. Very true. Well, spring, I want to thank you for telling your story today. I, well, thank you. You have one of those really unique stories that people have a hard time um, knowing these things about how to handle this stuff properly, how to handle this stuff in a way that's, they can actually be beneficial to the kids involved. So um, right. Thank you for taking some time and sharing your experience with our listeners. Well, I thank you. I appreciate it. Okay, Foster Care Nation. Thank you for listening to Spring Story. Now take her knowledge and wisdom to heart so you can create love and healing in your family and community. Be sure to come back next week. We have new episodes every Tuesday. If you'd like to share your story as a guest, you can reach us at Jason at FosterCareNation.com. You can connect with other like-minded people on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash foster care UJ. Don't forget, we have an account over at Buy Me a Coffee. It's like a virtual tip jar where you can help us fund our mission for as little or as much as you want. It's at buymeacoffee.com slash foster care. The links to everything are in the show notes in your podcast player or at fostercarenation.com. And as always, you are so super awesome. I thank you guys. Thank you for listening. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Unparalleled Unparalleled Studios. Studios.